0: Are you going to be staying busy in the upcoming shoulder season? Well, if you're not sure about that, you're going to learn all the details on how to do it on today's show. Today we got Mr. Russ Horrocks. He's going to talk about getting ready for the shoulder season, right? We've had this crazy busy summer, but we got to get ready for the inevitable, right? Try saying that word three times. Got to get ready for this downtime when the shoulder season hits, right? So join Russ Horrocks and learn all about it. Hi, this is Russ Horrocks with the EJAA Contract University here today in the summer series talking about how to maximize the off season. So we look at a year, we're going to have 12 months and each month's going to represent a different uh, percentage of the revenue that we can produce. So it's our sales curve. And each month is a little bit different. And markets that have a pretty even uh, cooling and heating season, it might be anywhere from seven and eight 8% a month to 13% a month. You get in some extreme parts, the South or the North, you might have three or 4% on any, any given month and up to 18 to 20% on other months. So what does this mean? Well, the buyers change different times a year. You get different types of buyers. And it always happens when, um, uh, when it's unexpected, you know, sometimes it's late July. Sometimes it's early August. Sometimes it's mid August. Sometimes it's September for example, on the cooling season. And what happens is the the type of buyer changes. So we're going through the summer, we're doing well, we're having lots of demand customers, we're we're, um, kind of cruising along, and all of a sudden, it just doesn't work anymore. And and sometimes salespeople take way too long to figure it out. They might be two or three weeks into the non-demand season before they realize, oh, there's been a shift. And the problem is they never changed their effort. They kept doing what they had been doing in the demand season, and that wasn't working in the non-demand season. And they get frustrated, and I understand why. You know, they're, they're doing really, really well, and all of a sudden they're like, why am I you know, closing 20% when I was just closing 70%? So it can be very frustrating for them. Uh, and it sneaks up on them. So today we're going to talk about what does that mean? What is it? What's going on? What can we do about it? And how can we maximize the off-season? One of the things I do is try to get my head right all the time. I hate to show up to a call less than my best. And if my head's not right, there's a good chance I will perform way below my potential. So I look at the off season or the non-demand season as a really important part of my year. Uh, It's kind of like lead sources. You know, you try to compare a tech lead to a marketed lead where the marketed lead has no history. The customer may not even have an apparent uh, immediate need. Versus a tech turnover a no heat, no cool call with company history and a maintenance program. Those are two different leads, obviously, but I don't ever look at leads as being good or bad. They're simply different. And if I have a marketed lead, I want to do the best I can on the marketed lead, knowing it will never be a tech lead, but it's still an important part of what makes up my income, what makes up my profession, my job, my year, and my time. It's important to the company. So we want to maximize every lead source, whether it's a house flip or a landlord or realtor, a market lead, an internet lead, a tech lead, a tech flip, whatever it is. We want to maximize each one of those potential sources to get the best possible outcome we can within that source. So every month I look at, I want to get the most out of that month I possibly can, because it's going to add up. It's going to make a big difference. So we've got to get our head right and not be trying to just survive through the off seasons or survive through the shoulder months and just you know kind of reluctantly get through it we can embrace it we can do our best within it and it can contribute to a really great year for us and make a big difference for our company and, of course for ourselves so let's kind of define this non-demand buyer who are they what are they thinking? What are they trying to accomplish? How do we work with them? So I want to talk about some of the characteristics of these non-demand buyers, and then we can incorporate that into our response. What can we do with those buyers to get the best possible outcome? So first of all, I think they're proactive. And what I mean by that is they don't like The emotions of a situation is to make decisions for them. So they don't wait for them to break. They don't wait to have to do it. They want to do it while they still feel like they're in control and they still have a choice. That's an important part to understand about these types of of buyers. Um, They're very specific in the way that they think. They don't want to be sold. Nobody wants to be sold. But these people's sense of control and choice are heightened. They really want to make sure it's on their terms. So they're often very um, reflective. They're often very much um, comparative. They're going to do research. They're going to often get lots of people in. Um, they feel like because their system works, that gives them a position of strength. So we want to make sure we address that and understand that don't fight it, work with it. Anytime you try to fight with your customer because of what you want or what you want them to be, you're going to lose. So don't fight this type of customer. Don't fight this time of year. Just understand it and work with it. You've heard me say before, it's not a closing ratio. It's a connection ratio. As you learn to connect with more people, more often you sell more work. And that connection is the key. And every type of buyer represents a unique formula for connection. Now, we obviously have to have a framework of a process. That's important. But the framework has to build some customization within it so we can respond to each and every one of our customers to get the best possible outcome. So with this type of customer, just know this is how they think. That's okay. Understand it's half the battle. Now we can know how to properly respond. So they also have a very tried and true buying process. They, for many years and decades, have made decisions for their home, for their family, and they feel very comfortable with their process. So if you go in there and try to make them um, respond to your process, what you want, what your agenda is, this type of customer especially will have nothing to do with it. They will say, no, thank you. You were invited to participate in my process. You're now asked to leave. They don't say it directly. What they say is, as we've, as we've talked about before is, Hey, thank you for your time. You've been fantastic. We really appreciate the information. We have a lot to think about. We'll call you back. You're invited initially, but once they got a hold of you or or got a whiff of you and what you're really about, and they disinvited you and said, no, thank you. I'll continue on my process. So understand that they have their own process and it's your job to figure out what that process looks like and be part of the process. So together you both can have success. So they have a heightened sense of need to, to be in control, heightened sense of, uh, of feeling like they have choices. Um, and they also, of course, tend to research, to plan, to think, to contemplate and to compare. They also are often aware that they're doing something for you. I've had many people tell me in the offseason, look, I know you're slow and you would like my business. And they understand that's a position of strength and that's OK, too. We'll talk about how we address that. They also are usually looking for something in return because of that. They're looking for some um, sense of value. They're, they're looking to get something for the time of year that they're doing it. Not just the proactive mindset to be prepared, but they're also looking for something in return. So if we kind of understand this customer, their mentality, how they think and how they might respond, we can then craft within our framework of a process a much better effort that's going to connect with a lot more people a lot more often. And that's really the objective here. So if we go in there with our own agenda, our own process, we're going to have a hard time. I get why you have your own agenda. You don't have a lot of leads. You're concerned. You're judged by your outcomes. You have a closing ratio. You get paid by your outcomes. You got crews that need to be filled. You have pressure to do something with those leads. I get all those pressures. But if you succumb to those pressures and you let them affect the way that you execute your process, you will have limited results. It's like any athlete or anyone in a performance-based position. If they think outcome, they lack the ability to focus on the execution of a process, and then the outcome suffers. The very thing they wanted and they thought they were so driven to achieve, they impact and they compromise because they can't get out of their own head. Your brain can only focus on one thing at a time. It's the purity of focus that's going to give you success, especially in slow demand season. When you've got to create an environment of success, it's not just handed to you. People don't just say, hey, how soon could you do it? And how much does it cost? These people are a different breed. They're looking for something different. And so you have to change the way you respond. You could look at it as I was playing basketball all summer long and all of a sudden I'm playing football, but I didn't realize it. So I'm trying to dribble a football up the court. I think that's going to play out. That football is going to go all over the place and not do what you want it to do. You also can get the non-demand customer. You're playing the wrong game. If you're not aware of it, you've got to change your behavior, change your effort. You got to focus. And so some of the key things you want to focus on as we're doing this is the time we spend in the home. Anytime that someone's struggling uh, in the world of sales or any type of performance based job, I I ask them to slow down. You can't replace what time does. The connection it builds the time that you get to learn and understand your customers and the time that you take to prove competence and prove intent and build alignment and build safety. Nothing can replace time. So take, take your time, slow down, especially in these off-season months. And these people typically have the time. They're looking for that type of experience. They want to fully understand you. They're not the dismissive customer in the summer that says, hey, my system's down, give me a quote." I'll be on a conference call. These people are looking for engagement interaction. They're looking for information and data. They're looking to find some way that they can make a good decision. So slow it down. That's a really important part to this time of year. I know you were just hurrying up and trying to run a lot of leads a day, and now you don't have a whole lot, but slow it down. Also, even though they don't want to be um, dictated by emotion, meaning the emotion to do something, they're under duress. They don't have comfort for their family and they have to get it. Even though they they don't want to be subject to that, it's still emotion that got you there. They didn't wake up that morning and go, you know what? I'm bored today. Let's invite a stranger into my home. Someone who might lie to me, might try to manipulate me and steal from me and has their own agenda. Um, That sounds fun. That's not what happened. There's some emotion that triggered them to contact us. They might start the call with, hey, look, just so you know, our system works perfectly fine. We were thinking that we made it through this summer. We're thinking maybe by next summer we probably should do something. It has given us some trouble. So we're starting the process today looking for some budgetary considerations. And you're the first one we've spoken to. So they tell you all that. And that's how they started." That's usually um, statements. There could be some truth mixed in there with fear. They're afraid if they don't put you at bay, that you're going to attack. And they're trying to keep you at bay a little bit. So um, the key is don't ever resist that initial resistance. When I hear that from somebody, I have to immediately and mean it and respond by validating that position. I look at the customer and say, that's fantastic. Good for you. Most people don't take the time to do this right. Um, Last year, I think 70% of people that did the work reported they were unhappy with the results, even though 94% thought they picked a great contractor. Why does that happen? Well, they do some basic research online. If you go to Google and type in how to buy an air conditioning system, you're only seeing what people pay for you to see. The good information is difficult to find but there is some great information out there that can really help you. So I'm glad to be part of your process, help you any way I can. How can I help you today? If you validate their position, how do you think it's going to make them feel? Do you think they're going to raise their defenses or they're going to lower their defenses? They're obviously going to lower them. Why? Because they just heard that you're on their team. They just heard that your agenda isn't to take from them or sell them. Your agenda is to be part of the process with them to inform them as a professional And that you're not worried about the timing of it. You're happy to be there and help them. When they hear all that, all the humans, all of our our brain's natural defenses go, you're clear. No danger here. Keep talking. It's okay. You can relax a little bit. We don't want to validate their fears. We need to eliminate those fears. And so slow it down, get in there, prove your intent, make the connection. They're going to give you some statement as to what you're doing there. And you've got to be careful not to jump to the outcome. Most salespeople I know get defeated. Not not that I know. Most salespeople that I work with start by being defeated when they hear something like that. Meaning they just heard you can't succeed today, nothing in it for you. And the problem with those thoughts are they produce emotions. What emotions are produced? Fear, anxiety, frustration, victimization. And when you feel things, your physiology shows. There's no human that can hide the physiology as as, as that results from the emotions that come from the thoughts that you think. So you can't think that. I don't get defeated when someone presents to me what I'm doing there that day. I've actually knocked on a door uh, before where the customer opened the door and looked at me and said, oh, crap. I said, oh, hi. And he said, I forgot to cancel the appointment. I bought from your competitors going in tomorrow. And I, without hesitation, without a single thought about my benefit and my outcome that I wanted, I looked at him and said, not a problem. We're here. I'm sure that you probably still have a few questions. If I could help you in any way, feel good about what you're doing tomorrow and answering those questions, I'd be happy to do it. And the guy looked at me kind of like, what? He said, really? I said, absolutely. Sure. And he knew I meant it because I did. My thoughts were not on outcome. My thoughts were on the process. I'll never let an outcome distract me from the purity of focus to execute my process. And the guy knew it. He felt it. That's something you have to believe. You can't just say that you have to truly believe it. And he said, come on in. Long story short, an hour and a half later, he called the other company in front of us and canceled the job and bought a complete system from us. So I don't ever get defeated by the initial. Here's what you're doing because there's not something in it for me. Anytime I'm with the salesperson and the customer presents something like that, you're the first of four. We're not buying tonight. Whatever it may be. I can see looking at the salesman. I can see on their physiology, their discouragement and their frustration. Even though they think they're hiding it. Customers, they can see it even better than I can because they're really hypersensitive to being sold. So. You got to commit to your process, commit that you're going to be there, given some time with them, and that over that time, things can change. Remember, with new information, people can make new decisions. So I'm okay with whatever they think now. I have an entire process to go through with them. It's important during this time, as you're getting to know them, to really respect that sense of control and that right to choose. Um, there's a term I use, that's called purifying the statement or purifying the information. And I do that, all throughout the call because I want that customer to know that you have the right to choose and I want you to feel like you're in control. That's going to allow me to create a successful environment. Successful environment is one where people feel safe. When they feel safe, they feel safe to feel. When they feel, they feel compelled. And ultimately, I want to compel them to invest in me and my company. So I have to build to that. So all throughout the calls, I make statements. I always purify the statements. It might sound like this. You asked about variable speed. Well, variable speed can be an effective product for circulating the air. If you're trying to breathe better air, circulating the air more often through a good filter can make a difference. Now, I don't know if that means anything to you, but that would be entirely up to you if you wanted to explore that or not. So I gave the information, some reasons behind it, but then I purified the information with you're in control. It's up to you. Now, people process that and they go, hmm. It's not what Russ wants. It's what I want. It does sound pretty good. You know what, Russ? Yeah, I'd like to learn more about that. And so all throughout the call, I'm working hard to make sure that they feel safe in the slow seasons and the non-demand seasons. This is even more important. You've got to really work to make them feel safe. Really work to make them feel a sense of control. This type of buyer demands it. Remember, it's not a connection ratio or closure ratio; it's a connection ratio. We're learning to connect with different types of buyers, whatever types they are. The non-demand season buyers are a little different breed. It takes a little different effort. So we got to pay attention to that. And make sure our efforts reflect that. So we know that they don't want to be responsive or be dictated uh, to by an emotion. I have to have it. I need it right now. But we also know it's an emotion that got you out there. Okay, so we have to discover what that emotion is. We have to find out the whys behind the whats. It can't simply be that we're, we're looking to save energy. We can't, it can't be we're simply looking to be more comfortable. We're looking for better control. We're looking to breathe better air. It can't be any of those things. It's got to be so much deeper than that. We're looking to save money. Well, why? What's going on? Our bills are high. Well, how high is too high? What do you mean by that? Go into the details. Well, how is it affecting you? What's the impact? Why is it a concern now? What caused you at this point to feel like it was it was bad enough to where it's time to look for a new solution? You know, go deeper. We need to breathe better air. Okay, well, tell me what's going on. Well, we want to do something to protect our home. All right. Why? <laughs> is it is it the fear of the, the, the viruses that are out there? You just simply have people in the home are sensitive to the air that they breathe. What are you trying to accomplish? And of course, there you've got to be really careful with that. You've got to show the customer that you're not there to pounce on the information that they provide. Anytime you pounce on information that you're given, you show the customer that you are not trustworthy with that information. And you'll never get to the honesty or the emotion of why you're there. And that's really an important part of this time of year. If I can't get to the emotional reasons that prompted them to call me, I'll never create something of value that they'll emotionally recognize and feel compelled to have in their life and in their home. So you can't pounce. I had a woman the other day say to me, Hey, look, what do you think about these UV lights? And I said, depends on what you're doing with them. I says, what do you think about them? And she looked at me and said, Well, I've done some research and I I don't think I... I don't think I believe it. And I said, well, fair enough. I said, you and many others. I said, there's a reason for that. And she says, what is that? And I said, the reason is it's the way people offer it. If I offer you a product to make you feel better and you don't, how are you going to feel about the product? She says, well, I'm not going to feel good. And I said, yeah, you probably want your money back. Right. And you probably go on Facebook and tell your friends not to call me. No good company would ever suggest they can make you feel better. It's an impossible thing to know in advance. I said, now the people that do value what UV lights can do, they do it for other reasons, things they can quantify. Benefits they know that they can measure and they could see for example, if you put a UV light evaporative coil, we're going to keep a dark, damp, moist environment free from growth and debris. Now, the real value is we optimize airflow. We restore or keep that system running at design specifications. So stress is off the major components. We get proper heat exchange across that coil, proper airflow. We don't have resistance. And you maximize the longevity of your system, the reliability of your system, the performance and efficiency. Now, we've also, though, in Doing that eliminated a major source of contamination. The evaporative coils downstream from the filter. So, if something grows there in, in, in off gases or whatever it's going to do, it's going to go straight into the air that you breathe. So, if you're interested in UV lights at all, make sure it's source control, something that has other benefits we can measure, and then hopefully you do feel better. We do know you're breathing better air, we just don't know if it's going to make you feel better. And this woman looked at me and said, Okay, that makes sense. I said, I'll tell you what, when I look at the system, I'd be happy to see if it's something that we can do or not. Would you like me to look into it? She said, you know, I would. I'd appreciate that. So I took someone that had some an agenda there. What do you think? Kind of baiting me. Had I jumped into that uh, trap, you know, it could have failed really easily. What do you think of UV lights? Oh, I love them right now. We can't keep them on the shelves or just or selling like hotcakes. Everyone's concerned about the air they breathe. It's age old technology. It's the sun, blah, 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 blah. I could have benefited, vomited and tried to sell her UV lighting. And the whole time though, she had a belief already that she wasn't buying it. And we've talked about this in the past. Belief will always trump facts. So don't stick your foot in your mouth, don't rush, don't be irresponsible with the information you're given, show the customer you can give me information, I will responsibly respond, but I'm more so looking to understand you, serve and help you. Really, really important during this time of year with a non-demand customer. You've gotta slow it down, you've gotta work hard to understand, work hard to build that intent, that alignment, that safe environment, work hard to build that trust. You've got to make sure they can feel emotion in this call for you to have any chance of compelling them by the end of your visit. So another important concept is people realize they're doing something for us. We're filling a crew during the off season. They know there's a, a benefit to the business for doing that. And so I always embrace this time of year. I always like to say to customers, um, cause they would tell me right out. I know it's a slow time you, for you and, and I'm hoping to get a better deal. I'm hoping to save some money. And I would say to customers, good for you. I love that. You're taking control of this. You're dictating when it's going to be done. And you're right. Once you realize that our our, our product is our people, their skill, their craftsmanship, their pride, their methodologies, the verification of what they do. Once you realize half of your investment lies in the hands of our people, you realize how important our people are to us. And certain times of the year, keeping them busy is the most important thing that we do. So yes, there's a better time to do it. In fact, I love this time of year. If I can save my customers money anytime in any way, I love to do it. So when I show the customer that I'm not discouraged by the time of year, I'm not frustrated by people that are tire kicking and shopping. If I embrace it and show them that their their hunch was correct, um, it just builds a connection, the strength of the experience, and it's going to build that emotion I'm looking to build. So People want to be appreciated. I had one customer say, I know I'm doing you guys a favor and doing it right now. I need to know you're doing something for me. I mean, he just flat out said exactly what I know most people think anyway. And and I didn't get discouraged by that. I said, look, sir, you're absolutely right. Filling our crews is our most important part of what we're doing. So, you know, any good business owner knows that the key to profitability is overhead recovery and overhead recovery is tied to labor. So we have to have a labor capacity or production management program. We have to in the off season have a strategy where we can allow tools to be put in the hands of our people to fill the crews. If we don't fill the crews, all the money we just made in the summer gets sucked up in the in the fall. And then we get behind the eight ball and we've got nothing to show for it. We've got to make sure we're covering overhead. So you have to have a coordinated, strategic approach to the offseason to make sure that you're maximizing every call that you get and trying to fill those crews the best you can. Now, it often doesn't take a lot. You got to know, we talked earlier about how much you have to understand your customer, not just what, but the whys behind it, because you have to know the emotion that would trigger them. What would excite them? I've said to people, "Hey, look, we, we'd love to fill a crew right now. It seems like you feel comfortable with us and who we are. You're just looking for the right time, you know. And I want you—I want you to be excited about the time." You know, if I were able to do that MRF 16 filter to say thank you for filling our crew, that's so important right now. I said, do you think that would allow you to be excited about doing it now versus next spring? Now, when I got to this point, I'd already done all the work I'd already executed the process correctly. The customer and I both know this was the next step but I knew what they cared about. I knew what they valued. I'd built trust. i built alignment. I communicated effectively. i educated effectively. I fully understood them, what they cared and what they valued about. I knew their process. I knew who they were. And at that point, that was a statement that both the customer and I expected. And they said, yeah, absolutely. We'd feel great about that. That'd be, that'd be fantastic. So you got to be careful, though, of how you use discounting or company-sponsored promotions or even rebates for that matter. Because if you use me irresponsibly, people feel like you're trying to beat them over the head with it. I like to do the opposite. Early in the call, if a customer says, hey, look, I know it's a good time of year to do it. I understand there's a rebate from the manufacturer and also from the utility company. I would say, nah, don't do it for the rebates. And they kind of look at me puzzled and say, here's what I mean. The rebates typically are attached to, to levels of investment that most people aren't considering. They're trying to get you to do something you normally wouldn't do. So if you're chasing the rebates, you often are going to spend more money. If it's okay with you, I'd love to expand the the, the scope of consideration to make sure that we don't miss something that you might value even more, that might be more affordable and just make more sense overall. Now, if you find that what you want does coincide with an available rebate, take the money and run. I totally get that. But if it's okay with you, I'd like to make sure we don't miss anything that you might find valuable and important to you. Would that be okay? It's impossible for a customer to say no to that, isn't it? They can't say no. How dare you try to protect me? How dare you try to serve me and allow me to get a better value? They can't say that. They're going to say yes. And so you took the rebate question and you maximized what it could do for you. You built stronger trust. You built better alignment. You showed better competency. You built a safer environment where they can feel. That's the real value of that question. Too many guys go, oh yeah, there's a great rebate right now. $650 from the manufacturer, $350 from the utilities, and, and we're throwing in $250 trading allowance. They pounce on that information, start start trying to sell way before we even start talking about what the is buying. They respond to the question completely inappropriately, and they were very misguided, and the customers are gonna be you know they're gonna be repelled by that. They're gonna recoil. They're not gonna feel safe. They're not going to feel like I can ask questions anymore because you're just going to pounce on the information and try to sell me something. So during this time of year, the, the non-demand season, these concepts are even more important than they normally are. They're always important, but they're very important during this time of year. So as we're kind of thinking about our response to this type of buyer, um, something I think that's valuable. Anytime I find salespeople struggling or frustrated or in a slump, um, I ask them to do three simple things. Slow down. Okay slow down, spend more time with the customer. Okay. Well, that's probably a prerequisite to the three things. So one, slow down. The three things are, first of all, understand the personality. You have to know how people communicate and like to be communicated with. So we have a framework that's a process, but within the framework we're required to customize for every type of customer. For example, if I have a analytical personality say to me, does brand matter? I would respond with language. I know that's specific to them being an analytical. I'd say things like, you know, that's a great question. A lot of people want to know that. In fact, for decades, there's been countless studies, research, data, information provided to find out does brand really make a difference. Now, sure, there's some differences among brands, but overwhelmingly what they found was the installation, the configuration, the airflow and the verification of those things is the key. And so from that perspective, listening to all the information and all the data for decades now, the 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 strong conclusion is no brand doesn't matter. Uh, the, the person, the company you choose is the absolute key to your investment. So you see how with an analytical, I use different language. I try to put in there things that an analytical would appreciate data, information, third party validation, third party verification, um, you know, is, is very specific to how analytical thinks you say that same thing to a driver personality. It's not going to have the same impact or effect. They're not going to appreciate that dialogue. That language won't speak to them. In fact, it might turn them off. So if you're not customizing to the customer's personality type, you're going to have very limited uh, results. You're going to hit that performance ceiling. Everywhere I go and train salespeople, I find they're hitting the performance ceiling. Whether it's a million, two million, three million, whatever it is, they're hitting some performance ceiling and they don't know how to break through. And the key is you cannot keep doing what you've always done to get something that you've never had. You have to learn how to evolve. And the customization, the creativity to work with every customer is going to let you break through those performance barriers. So understand the customer's personality. Second is make sure you fully understand what they value, what they care about, what they value, what they care about. Not what we value, not what's important to us or your last customer. It's got to be completely about them. I always enjoy people asking me questions about my opinion and I give them a completely agnostic answer. Russ, what do you think about two stage compressors? It depends. What does it depend on? Well, what's important to you? What do you mean? Well, some people like humidity. Some people don't. Well, what does that have to do with it? Well, a two stage uh, compressor allows you to have um, a lower uh, setting, longer cycling, better dehumidification. So if you don't like humidity, a two stage uh, compressor might be, Something worth considering. And if you really don't like humidity, you might want to look into modulation, but that's entirely up to you. Now the customer's going, well, I don't like humidity. Maybe it's something important to me. So I I word it in such a way that it's not assuming anything. It's not what I care about. It's just information delivered in a way that they feel safe to respond. That's the key to providing good and effective information, not the, oh, you're going to love modulation. It's the number one seller. It's the future of technology. It's just awesome. We can't even keep it in stock. You try to sell it. Now people, you're, you're speaking to the part of the brain that says danger, danger, defend, defend, withdraw, withdraw. We don't want to do that. I don't want them to withdraw the emotion. I want to just flame. I, I want to just fan that emotion. Don't pounce on it. Just fan it. Let that emotion build slowly. And so I deliver all information with what's important to them. What do they value? I want to, I want them to tell me what's important to them. Not me. Tell them what's important to them. You know, what do you think of these new thermostats, Russ? Ah, it depends. What do you mean? Some people like it simple, set it and forget it. Some people like some basic control. And some people just love the fact that they're always connected. They get reports. They can tell the system what to do even when they're not there. You can bring the other side of the world and tell your system what to do. It just depends on what you like. Having said that, what are your thoughts? You start all information with with an agnostic position, then people will actually consider the information. And during the slow season, again, this is even more important. They want to be in control. So don't take that control from them. The key to having a higher average ticket is not upselling people. The key is compelling people to consider more advanced solutions. That's the key to higher ticket sales, not you upselling. You don't possess the power. In fact, your effort to upsell people is probably the reason that you're not getting more than you're getting now. When you learn how to compel people to consider higher solutions and bigger dollar numbers, that's when you're going to start to see your average ticket skyrocket. And the third thing is, so the first thing was you got you to find out how they communicate. Second thing is find out what they value. And the third thing is find out how they make decisions. They make decisions a very specific way. We mentioned it earlier. Find out how they make decisions and be part of their process. Don't be in opposition to their process. Anytime you try to execute your process in someone's home that doesn't want to be part of your process, you will lose. They'll simply fire you by saying how wonderful you were and how informative you were and asking for your card. Don't force them into your process. Understand their process. These, these heavy thinkers, these proactive mindset people in the, in the shoulder months, they call you out. They're inviting you to be part of their process, a process they believe in, a process that they're going to execute. If you don't conform to their process to some extent and, and, and allow them and validate their process, they'll disinvite you. You're done. Not even considered. Game over. Game over. So you got to make sure you're paying attention to how they buy, how they make choices and decisions. So those three things I always offer advice to any salesperson struggling, but in the slow season, very important as well. So you got to make sure we're not skipping steps in our process. I mentioned that earlier. Uh, be true to your process. I know in the, in, the, in the busy seasons, we get quick with our process. We skip steps because it works but that can really come back to bite you and hurt you pretty quickly. I write with guys all the time, uh, coming out of a busy season and we get out of the call and I, I look at them and say, what was that? They're like, what do you mean? I said, I, it, you missed so many things, so many things you didn't do. And they're like, well, what do you mean? We start walking through that and they really quickly realize, you're right. I don't know why I didn't do those things. I know those things. I know how important they are. What happens is they've created habits. And the, the, the sad thing is even success can build bad habits. It can get us, get us off track pretty easily. So we have to always stay true to our process. Now, understand how the process should be executed with any given customer. While I never miss steps in my process, I might truncate one part of it because it's not important to the customer. For example, the brand story. If someone has no uh, allegiance to any brand, doesn't even care, then I spend very little time on the brand story other than what they do to support us to support them. If someone says I have to have a specific customer, uh, 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 brand name and I don't happen to carry that brand name, I got to spend a lot more time on that part of the process. So you have to understand your process and then know how much time to spend on it based on the individual in front of. This is that customization I was speaking of, knowing how to customize the experience for each and every customer based on what's the key to your success and their success. You've got to be in perfect alignment with the customer. You cannot show them that you have a different agenda than the agenda. That's best for them. You've got to demonstrate your competence as you proof uh, and build trust with them. There's lots of ways to demonstrate competence. It's not just in the things that you say, it's the confidence in the way you say things. And sometimes the things that you don't say, if I'm with a literary professor who has no interest in mechanical things, I spend very little time on the mechanical things. And talk very much descriptively about the things that, not what they are, but what they do. If I'm with a, an engineer, I spend a lot more time on the mechanical things. I start talking about saturation points of refrigerant. I talk about, you know, delta T's across the coil. I talk about SOP. You know, if I'm with a... Um, a, an engineer uh, uh, you know, that, um, uh, whether it's electrical, mechanical, whatever, then I speak the language of that engineer to prove competence. So competence isn't just one single effort that you make with every type of person. You customize how you build competence with each and every customer. You got to work hard to understand them. We talked about that earlier. You got to evaluate the home and the system provides solutions that are creative. Explore options. I love to explore options with customers and things to not do even. You know, hey, based on what you've told me so far, I wouldn't do this. For example, it's a great way to, way to price condition. If you're in someone's home and they've they've told you from the very beginning, this is upfront cost based the decisions based on upfront cost. We're moving uh, soon. We want a, a new version of what we have. Very much a lateral movement. We're not looking for anything beyond that. And and the entire time, that's what they believe. Then I might say something like this to price condition. And well, look, it sounds like to me you're looking for the most you can get for the least amount of money. You don't want to overspend, but you also realize it can very be, be very painful to underspend. Having said that. I would stay away from those fifteen twenty thousand dollars systems. They're not going to do you any good. You'll, you'll see no benefit in it. The new buyer won't recognize what it is. Let's just let's just keep this focused on a more simple solution. Is that what you're saying? The customer now will say, "Well, yeah." Wait a second, fifteen twenty grand—that's way beyond what we were thinking. Great, now we're into the price condition dialog, so that that works perfect. We also proved intent, alignment, competence the whole time. So it's this customization of the execution of the process that's going to make you great at what you do. It's that delivery that's going to make you good. You've heard me say before, it's not the process that makes someone great, although it's important. It's the execution of the process that makes someone great. It's the skill that they have. It's the ability to execute the parts of the process that set someone apart from another. I've seen a lot of guys with good processes produce very bad results. And I've seen some natural, I call them natural athletes out there, They're they're producing like crazy and they have no process. They don't even know why. And I see that raw talent and I know with a process in that raw talent, wow, they could do so much. And so it's really about the execution, the executable skills that are so important to what we do. And be careful not to offer your opinion. Only after it's either they've made a choice or they've made a lean, then you can offer that opinion to support it. But don't offer it initially. I talked about delivering information with with an agnostic approach. Once the customer leans, then you can support the lean. You know, hey, Russ, do you think that modulation is important? I said, well, I I don't I don't know if importance the right word. I know it's making a difference. It's the future of the industry. A lot of people like to future-proof their mechanicals if they know they're gonna be in the home for maybe you know five years or more. Um, from that perspective, I guess it's important, but is it necessary? Of course not. It's entirely up to you. If you like what it does, maybe it's worth considering. You let me know, I'll let you direct that conversation. When I support people but don't force people, when I connect with people and don't pressure people, the key is the whole call I'm building towards a safe environment where they can feel. You have to understand what urgency is. Urgency is the desire for gain plus the fear of loss. What does that mean? Without desire and fear, there's no urgency. No promotion, no discount can can inspire someone to do something they don't want to do. Right now, there could be at my local um, outfitter here. I'm not sure the right term to use. They could have half off a, a, a compost, you know shed or system i don't care if it's half off i don't need a compost system right now i don't i don't need it so i don't really care if there's a discount so we can't we got to understand the importance in the place of discounts and and uh, uh, rebates and understand the real urgency comes from the desire for gain plus the fear of loss that's what's going to compel and motive, motivate people to act so when i confirm with that person validate that next spring is perfectly fine let's get to work today It's all to build the environment where I can allow them to feel. If I know that they're trying to save money, if I know that they want to be more comfortable and have more control, as they feel safe to explore those types of solutions with me, they'll feel compelled to want those things. Wow. Look at us with a new system being more efficient. Wow. Look at us with a new system, having more comfort. Wow. Look at us with a new system, having more control. That emotional investment is going to be the key to compelling them to act. I've had countless calls where someone's met me with, Hey, you're the first of many system works perfectly fine. We thought we'd just start to see what it might take to do the work. Three hours later, they're spending twelve, fifteen thousand $15,000 with me and they can't, get it in soon enough if you know how to create urgency and you know the keys emotion you know how to create the emotion the environment to experience it that's how you're going to be successful in the off season now i know we're just kind of skimming over all these concepts but we're just trying to get you kind of a a way to think about it and hopefully a way for you to think about it and and keep exploring it and reaching out and getting good information for yourself so uh, don't feel like this is a, a comprehensive uh Tutorial, this is just simply some things to think about and be aware of. Um, so we want to make sure that our, our company's planning, though, for these off-seasons as well. Uh, we mentioned earlier that the key to company company's success is the ability to recover overhead. We have to have a strategic, planned out, thoughtful way we're going to attack the non-demand season that's supported and everyone knows what they're doing. That's a really big part of, of what we do here. So labor capacity, production management, a really important part of what we do. So you need to embrace the offices. we talked about it earlier. Don't think of it as a drudgery, a punishment. Don't think of it as, as difficult. Yes, you're going to work harder for less quite often, but embrace it. Enjoy it. Find joy in what you do every day. That's a really important part of what we do. The final uh, point I'll, I'll throw up here for you is you have to have a foolproof follow-up plan. I was looking through my, my uh, uh, records the other day and I found uh, my sales book from 1998 And it had every lead I ran, what happened, what was the result, what was the outcome, what was the follow-up. Um, I could show you every lead I ran even back in the 90s and what happened with it. You have to have a foolproof follow up system to make sure if you're given a lead for your company, that lead is carried out to a conclusion. You always know the status of it. What's the next step? What are we doing? That's a really important part during the off season as well. If you get there in the first call and they're, they're committed to getting other people in there, you know, reset the call. Don't price it. Once they have the price, they don't need you anymore. You've got to be skilled at resetting the call so you can get back in there and still have the ability to influence and guide them to an outcome. And that's fine. But that process has to be defined. It's got to be very clear. and You've got to stay on top of it. A lot of guys win during the offseason because of the last last person standing. The other people you know, were outcome driven and they saw that this wasn't going to be an easy sell and they just gave up and didn't put the follow up in and they, they disappeared. You can win out sometimes by simply just staying in the game, staying connected, let, making sure that customer still needs you and make sure that you've defined your follow up completely. So if you do all of these things in the off season, I think you're going to find that you're going to get some better results. Now, if you're already doing a lot of these things, great. Good for you. Doing better. Go to the next level, whatever that is. If it's created some thought in you, pursue it. Seek it out. If there's something in this video that you think would be worth learning more about, reach out to us here at EJA. We're happy to help any way that we possibly can. Um, so as always, um, it's not just loving what you do, but more importantly, loving the way that you do it. That will be the key to your success, achieving what you're truly capable of. Um, One final challenge for you. Once you really get down this effort in the off season and you really perfect all the things we've talked about today, you start seeing some great results. Now, here's the challenge for you. Do the same thing and use that same effort in the demand season. And you're going to find that you produce much better results more often as well. Thanks for listening. Appreciate your time. My name is Russ Horrocks. We'll see you next time. Awesome content right there, as always, from our Seizing the Summer series. Now, listen, if you like the content and you're not a member, you can get full access to the series right now. All you got to do is fill out the form on this page. This is powerful content that you can implement all summer long to maximize your profits and get ready for the dreaded slow season this fall. Well, that's it for today, folks. We'll see you again very soon. Until then, my friends, bye-bye for now.